I wish to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on country. I pay my respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, past, present and emerging. I acknowledge all Indigenous customs, traditions and cultures across the globe. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome to the Rising With podcast. I am your host, Tess Watson. I am a soulful mentor to mums, creators and women in business. I support and guide women to clarity, sensuality, authenticity and transformation. Thank you for being here as I share everything from co-parenting, spirituality and business lessons. My guests and I will be providing you with the totally doable tips and tricks to truly step into your ultimate desires for a successful, connected and abundant life. Let's get into today's episode. Today, I am so honoured and so blessed and already buzzing to be talking to James Bishgill. Welcome, James. So good to be chatting to you, Tess. Thank you. Can we begin with a little introduction of yourself? Sure. I am 48 and I'm a father of two. I have a wonderful 21-year-old daughter and a wonderful 26-year-old stepson. I have found myself over recent years being very drawn to working closely with human beings. I call myself a facilitator and the word facilitation, if your listeners aren't aware of it, it comes from the French word facile, which means easy. So my role is to make group conversation easy. So I've been working in the realm of facilitation for say the last 13 years. That has lit me up to humanness to what brings us closer and makes us feel okay and safe and connected and to what has us feel like we can't be together, can't talk about certain things, feel unsafe, feel disconnected. My paths have variously led me both personally and professionally now to working primarily in the realm of relationship conflict. So when I talk about relationship, any connection between me and another human being could be sibling relationships, broader family relationships, workplace relationships, intimate relationships between me and an ex-partner. When I talk about conflict, people normally go, oh, conflict, is there much of that around? I say, I use the term conflict broadly to talk about, I say, have you ever felt misunderstood? (laughs) Or have you ever felt like there's things that you need to talk about but you're not quite sure how or topics you need to avoid or places in your life where you've actually felt wounded or hurt by what someone's done or said? (laughs) And people are generally like, oh, yeah. yeah, Oh, okay, light bulbs. (laughs) Lots of that but no conflict. So I tend to try and be more mindful of when I use conflict because some people don't relate. Now I find myself, there's not much of a distinction really between who I am and what I do anymore. I don't really feel like I'm ever going to work. I'm really fascinated by connection and safety and communication and relationship and understanding. I seek that daily in my own life in the face of interpersonal difficulty and complexity. And in seeking it in my own life, I've found I'm quite well placed to provide a safe 
place for others to explore how to create relationship safety through communication in their own life. Although I wouldn't have chosen this path because there's been a lot of pain on the road to here, I feel incredibly blessed that this is where I've been led. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was all so beautiful. Was there a pivotal point in perhaps the last five or 10 years that has nudged you onto this path and kept you on this path? There have been a few. They all pretty much centre around my personal romantic relationship. I was in a beautiful long-term relationship for 15 years. My ex-wife and I were married for five of those years and, and had two beautiful kids together. And separating, making the decision to leave that relationship was some of the most profound heartbreak I've ever experienced because I felt like I was choosing, I had to choose my well-being or the well-being of my family. At the time, it felt like an either-or situation. That was probably the most difficult choice I've ever had to make. Following that, I found myself in another beautiful relationship, which I thought was going to last for a long time. I was the one to bring deception to that relationship. So I experienced firsthand what it was like to destroy trust in a relationship through what I feel like I couldn't share at the time and what I couldn't see about myself and the support that I didn't get from my community in order to stay true and open and honest and clear in that relationship. So the last five years for me has been working out how I never find myself in that situation again, how I can, as a man, what does integrity mean to me? How do I hold myself such that I'm deeply proud of myself in every moment? That journey has been a journey of shame because the feeling of responsibility for causing that degree of pain, not only to my ex-partner at the time, but also to our community. That's been an incredible shame. It's been an incredible teacher for me. And then most recently, I was in a relationship when I was teaching overseas, which felt like it was going to be, we were going to work side by side for a long time. I felt like all the training that my life had provided me was, had come to this moment of connection. And then there was a very tragic circumstance that happened in her life that led her into deep grief and trauma. Then we flew back to Australia, her on the East Coast, me here, then COVID hit. So we couldn't see each other. I couldn't hold her physically in her grief. And eventually she wasn't able to stay in the relationship. And what that provided me was this incredible opportunity to learn to hold myself in the face of what I felt was abandonment and to realise that there was actually the most enormous growth waiting for me there. That was a little over 12 months ago. Most of that 12 months, I've just been in the pain of it, in the darkness of it. And yet I, in the work that I do with individuals and couples, I share quite openly about all of those stories. And it's partly through my sharing of the stories that people get and get access to the tools that I'm sharing. So I feel like my path here has been paved with relationship situations that have been deeply painful and yet have really opened me to a way of being with each other that that feels really quite profound. Yeah. Oh, I've got goosebumps and I'm a little bit shaky because I can see myself so much in a lot of that. Oh, I wasn't expecting to get emotional today. I too left a relationship last year and with my baby daddy. So we had a son together after seven and a half years together. I've had a relationship since then, which, like yourself, it felt at the time, it felt so right and easy. It was going to last. And 
both of them didn't. The first one I chose to leave, the second one he chose to leave, and I totally respect his decision. But one thing that connects me with shame is the wonder, and I don't know if this is too much of the what if. I've done so much work since leaving the long-term relationship. One of the feelings of shame I have is why couldn't I do that work in the space of the relationship? just wondered what your interpretation of that might be. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to me that you should question that. I've certainly spent a lot of time questioning that in myself, like regretting, ruminating, like what if and why didn't I and why couldn't I see when I look back really quite honestly. It's true that I couldn't actually see what was happening in me that led me, that was me not leading me. Mm. Um, This idea of self-leadership is new to me. I think it's primary to all relationship, and I'm sure people have been talking about this for thousands of years, but I've just gotten onto it. I think it takes crisis for us to realise certain things or to have the kind of certain perspective around looking more closely where we may not have wanted to look before. I couldn't see how I was deceiving myself, and so therefore I couldn't see how deeply I was deceiving others. And my capacity for deception is masterful, actually. Now I can understand that comes from a yearning that only I get to attend to. I just want to be held and adored and thought of as wonderful. I want people to never go. And that's not possible. While I'm at the mercy of that yearning externally, then I'm going to continually lead myself astray and I'm going to lead others astray in terms of who I am. But if I can learn each day to attend to my yearning to be adored and loved and safe and held and never left. I'm actually the only person who can ever provide that for me. So that's been profound. That was just out of my view. I wish, I still see five years down the track from that deceptive behaviour, I'm still very present to the pain in my community. It's still Mm -hmm. very present. But the seeds that I sowed then are still bearing fruit now. And that's very difficult to be with because who I am now and what I would do is so different. And yet part of when we talk about authenticity, like I love the fact that you want that conversation because for me, authenticity is for me to notice all the seeds that I've sowed and that I'm sowing related to the teaching in yoga of karma, the fact that everything we do and not do is the sowing of seeds. And those seeds will grow certain types of trees that bear certain types of fruit. And authenticity for me is owning the seeds that I plant and owning the fruit that they bear, trying to get the whole of that, like really getting the whole of that, like not pretending that I'm a good person or that I'm a bad person, like neither of those is actually true. I have the capacity to sow seeds of any kind in any moment. I love that is a deeper level of looking at authenticity than I have perceived it recently. Authenticity, to me, the first thing I think of is speaking my truth and speaking my essence, but really owning everything, looking around at the things that you do and the things that you don't, like you said, wow, that's really authentic because that's your shit. Yeah, my shit and my gold and let it all be welcome in, at least to me. Like no one else needs to welcome it in, but I live an authentic life when I own my shit and my gold constantly. It's also not authentic to not own my gold and to not to feel like I have to hide away because of what's happened. The more my work expands, the more public 
my profile will become. That brings fear with me because I know there's people in my life who will be like, hang on a sec, you're X, Y, Z. And I need to own both, actually. I need to own the fact that this work belongs on the planet and I've found what I'm here to do. And the fact that I haven't always held myself in a place that creates safety and connection for others. For me, there's a very strong relationship between authenticity and incongruence. One of the pieces of work that I work with people in communication in relationship is we are not masterful as human beings at holding things that seem incongruent. The human mind tends to go to either this or this. It's part of what the yogis would term avidya, which is our active state of ignorance. That is this mistaken sense of what's true. Have you ever found yourself talking to a friend or a partner or whatever and and you're like, hang on a sec, but that doesn't make sense because yesterday you said this and now today you've gone down the opposite. Like we, we don't, we're not very tolerant of incongruence in others. And we're not tolerant of, in, tolerant of incongruence in ourselves. We tend to go, oh, I'm just being silly because this and this, oh, that doesn't make sense. So we try to sanitize our experience into getting our story straight. Authenticity for me is realizing that my story is not straight. Mm-hmm. And then I can relate to others without their story needing to be straight. And then we're in a compassionate world. If yeah. that can be incongruent in any moment, and so can I, wow. Freedom. So we need to train ourselves in that because we're trained in the opposite. We're trained in the fact that I sometimes tell a story about sitting outside the principal's office when I was in year six. I'd written a love note. I'd written a note to my friend, Mike, saying with the name of the girl that I loved in year six. And the note was intercepted and I was sent to the principal's office and he came out and he said, you've got five minutes to get your story straight. That's a little moment of the fact that we're, we are all expected to get our stories straight. We're expected to show up in this way that's congruent and simple and easily articulated and well-defined. Part of my practice at the moment, beginning to coming out of the pain of loss a year from a year ago and starting to explore connection, romantic connection again, part of my practice is to actually speak to the incongruence in me rather than wait until my story's straight before I communicate. Because then it's quite likely not the whole of the truth. Yeah. So my truth is actually I'm feeling this and at the same time I'm feeling this, which kind of feels like the opposite, but they're both true for me. I'm wanting this, but I'm also not sure sometimes whether I do really want that. Then I absolutely am sure the very next minute. That's for me, that's living with authenticity. It's not very easily digestible. (laughs) No, but I think, oh, I've just having so many connections to what you're saying in how I'm feeling. I want to be very protective of the people in my life at the moment, but I have something that kept coming up when you were speaking then was honour, honouring ourselves and honouring our thoughts, our feelings, our being, and that is being authentic. Since leaving my baby daddy and we're still friends now, we still communicate with how we feel, not the regrets that we had, but the different view, the different lens we see things through now and own it, owning how we were then and owning how we were last week or yesterday, speaking how we're feeling in that moment. It can chop and change. Some weeks we don't speak to each other at all. It is a strained relationship. And then other weeks we're best friends and we can go out for lunch together and 
co-parent beautifully and yeah it's such a a wave and I think accepting that those sorts of feelings whether it is in an intimate relationship or a past relationship or friendships or work like you say it's okay to have those waves yeah that's the very truth of it it is that kind of storm mm. it's or, or it's seasons or it's yeah. cycles or it's tides that's the reality of our experience is that it's always on the move and anytime we try and define it as otherwise then it's a perversion really if we really look at the truth of our experience and the truth of their experience, then we're faced with utter groundlessness <laughs> because there's no certainty there in any moment. Mm. One of the ways that I work with communication is to acknowledge that the ways that we try to find certainty in groundlessness. Pima Chodron talks so beautifully about groundlessness in her book, When Things Fall Apart. I highly recommend it to everybody. Can you just say but that again? The book. When Things Fall Apart, Pima Chodron. She's an American Buddhist nun and yeah, it's on Audible and it's everywhere. Anyway, she talks about that we as human beings struggle with groundlessness, with the essential groundlessness of being. But when we look to a relationship, like things are always changing, always on the move. And the way that we deal with that to try and find some certainty is to be right, to feel wronged, to blame to generate this sense of there's a right and a wrong. We go into judgment and criticism. All of these ways are actually on the deepest level when we can take a really compassionate look at conflict. It's just us trying to find certainty when things are essentially really groundless. And once we can start to view the conflict, the way we and they create opposition as a means to find certainty, then there's Deep compassion rises, like, oh, look at us. We just want, we're just terrified, actually. So oh, yeah. in the face of groundlessness between me and you, I'll just go, oh, I'll find the higher ground where I just get to be right about something because at least that, at least there, it feels like there's some certainty for me. We don't realise we're doing that, but that's what's in the background. That's what we're hardwired to find safety in the face of unsafety. It's the sympathetic nervous system response. Yep, that's me. Once a month before the full moon, I yeah. like to go a little bit deeper and work out why I'm feeling, where my foundations are, why they're rocked, questioning everything. Yeah, that groundlessness. Yeah, there's nothing for the mind to wrap around when mm. we're groundless. Yeah, that really interprets exactly my cycle. And that cycle is becoming more of a whisper these days but it does pop up. I think the beauty about being aware of when this cycle happens for me and even friends of, I call it the gray area before the full moon or before a cycle starts within a woman. It's when we start to go deeper, start to question, start the fight, start the disagreement, start yeah, that. When you just need to be completely resolutely and utterly held so that you can have all the seasons, the four seasons in you at the same moment to not be made wrong or. Yeah. Not be criticised or judged for that. Yeah. Yeah. I even told a friend, like, mark it on the calendar so your partner can see. Yeah. Like for her, she and her partner in that time, she would just want to be left alone. So she's the opposite. She doesn't need any attention during that few days or that week. Just leave her alone. So put it on the calendar so you can arrange and plan the rest of your month around these moments of surrender. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful way to look at hormonal cycles. And also in the work that I do with couples and the work that I do with individual men, it's still true in any moment that there is groundlessness. So for example, someone's faced with any experience, any difficult or challenging or changing experience, part of their experience is pulling in one direction. Part of their experience, if they look deeply enough, is pulling in the opposite direction. Maybe they're being split in five different directions. They're hoping for this, but also worried about this. They're wanting to stay, but also really wanting to go. They're Mm -hmm. feeling shame, but also excitement and validation. They're feeling like a deep sense of compassion, but also like really wanting the other people to get person to get their suffering. It's just the deeper we look at complexity and incongruence, the more it's just, wow, there's no way to choose a single narrative. (laughs) And yet that's what we always try and do. It's like we're in a legal setting trying to put forward our case. And our reality is so complex that it would be thrown out of court. The judge would be like, get your story straight. I totally understand that. And something that's come to mind is something a mentor, a friend, who your author says, she's a a goddess of ceremony, I call her. She speaks about your sacred compass. And I've been reflecting this week within that space, within that turmoil of disintegrating my relationship last year. I didn't have a sacred compass even when I was in it. So I feel like I didn't have something to come back to with that going back and forth with questioning myself, questioning the relationship. Like before I left, I've spoken about this in a podcast, but before I left the relationship, a number of things as a gardener starting up. Beautiful. Lower back. That's been a theme in my life recently. Blowbacks wherever I try and record anything. (laughs) There's something happening, but that's okay. Yeah, I didn't have that sacred compass to come back to. And I wondered what if I did have that understanding through that turmoil to get through it and to not have to have that story of leaving the relationship to feel differently, to have that change. Oh, that was what I was going to say that year same year I left te- left my job as a teacher and I haven't gone back and probably won't go back and just made some big choices leading up to it. Yeah, I've got my mood swaddled a little bit there, but what's your interpretation of all of that? There's five different directions happening in my mind. Yeah, what would you say to someone who was in a relationship and questioning leaving but wanting to stay to do the work? Yeah, we, in the face of difficulty, The mind's job is to scan for patterns from the past, to make decisions about the moment, to take action. If we're experiencing difficulty, we want to escape the difficulty, so we want to make a decision to move away. It's the same way in as if there was someone at the front door with a knife. We want to make, we want to assess the moment, to take action, to move away from the moment, to to reduce threat, to move away from threat. So if we're in a relationship and there are moments of conflict, and let's face it, it could be your partner's just cheated on you, but it could be also like your partner's just left their plate on the wrong part of the sink or rolled their eyes or whatever. It could it, It's the tiny moments that tend to explode. Then we end up fighting about the fighting. It makes sense that we should try to work out what to do to escape the difficulty. The difficulty is that if we feel quite groundless and maybe the heart has closed because we don't feel safe Mm. in whatever way. I use the term safety to mean we don't feel like love is present. So what I ask people to do is pause 
try to pause the decision making and let's get more interested in the data of the moment. Let's look at all the diverse feelings that are present for you. Let's face it, there can be fear, resignation, and hurt, and hope, and shame, and excitement, and righteousness. Like they can all coexist. So looking deeply into our, the depth of our emotional experience and also what's happening, for, what are the multiple stories that we're telling ourselves in this moment? All the judgments and all the criticisms and all the assessments that are flooding our brain that are giving us these emotional experiences and all the things that we're hoping for, some of which are pulling in opposite directions and all the things that we're fearing or trying to escape, all of which could be pulling in different directions. Getting really interested is coming back to incongruity. Getting really interested in the complexity of the moment has us stay in this moment. Like in intimacy, that's intimacy, like a really close, I was writing about this this morning, Mm. intimacy is the ability to stay open and present to what's happening rather than pulling away from the difficulty and making an assessment and going somewhere else. And I'm not saying I'm a great advocate for leaving relationships that are not working for you both, but we tend to go to that mechanism first. I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. Rather than stay and skillfully or be supported to skillfully look into the complexity, what we find when we look in there is that there's all this very complex experience in me and there's this very complex experience in you, most of which we haven't even been aware of. And most of which we find it very difficult to communicate with each other about because we're trying to communicate from the simple narrative, the assessment. So when we get into conflict, we tend to just be like lawyers arguing in court. That's only a little part of the data. When we can create psychological and emotional safety through our communication in relationship, then I can come to you with all the parts and you can come to me with all the parts. And it's quite likely that we'll just have this compassion rises. Oh my God, I yearn for your happiness. Now I hear that you yearn for mine. There's not a single relationship that I've ever worked with where they don't yearn for each other's happiness. It simply doesn't exist. The heart doesn't yearn for suffering in another. It simply doesn't. What has us pull away from being committed to creating love and understanding for another is a feeling of hurt and a feeling blamed and feeling criticised. So it's this the lack of safety that has us pull away. When we can create a space in our relationship where I can talk to you about what I'm yearning for and what my pain is, you just want to be in here in understanding with me. You just want to do everything you possibly can to provide me with what I need. That's the very true nature of the heart. And if you can really invite me into understanding the complexity of your relationship in a way that doesn't paint it as all my fault, I'm just compelled. I just want to know more and more because I yearn for your well-being. I yearn for your happiness. Even if we don't yearn to continue the relationship, I've worked with ex-partners and I'm fortunate enough that my ex-wife and I have done such beautiful work such that she was around the corner the other night, sent me a message saying, come for a beer. Like I get excited when I see her because we keep coming back to the love that we share, even though we don't want the relationship anymore. There's no, like part of what really excites me about part of my work, particularly like there's a whole strand of my coaching that works with coaching X, coaching you to get better at communicating with the X because culturally the X is like fraught. I love that. I was going to ask you, 
I don't like really calling my ex. No, my, because the painters this certain yeah. painting of baby if, daddy would be up for it, but I so would be up for a session. Yeah, yeah. If you're sitting, this is culturally where we're at. I think, at least, this is my understanding. If you're mm-hmm. sitting in a room full of people and you say, and you're addressing, and you say, "My ex," the oxygen goes out of the room. Mm. Culturally, we have this like. <gasps> Like we just have this assumption that's fraught and difficult and oppositional, and that's not everyone's experience, but that's the cultural norm of the word X, the X. It's fashionable to never talk to your ex again or to hate them or to resent Mm. them or hold on to or think, oh, my God, I dodged a bullet, whatever. I think the X relationship is so charged from my perspective because love is present still. When kids are involved, children are involved still. Yeah. If we've got pain through what happened and the depth of love, because this is someone that we devoted our life to and we might have had children with, that mixture of the pain that we still feel that's unresolved and the love that underlies that, that is the mixture that gives us about the ex. If there was no deep love there, we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll move on. Mm. But it's the, it's the love that is the yearning for, it's the knowledge that we share love on some very deep level or that we used to that makes it so difficult, that X relationship. So when in my coaching, I get people to actually tune into that love that they experience for their ex, because that is the depth of compassion that's going to transform the relationship because judgment will not do anything other than create opposition. Standing in that place of poor me, look at what you've done, you're wrong, I'm right, here's all the data that backs up my story, that creates opposition what we don't realize when we stand in when we stand in blame we create opposition in every moment the alternative is that we can start to have a very compassionate stance about the complexities in their world that have them show up like they do i never suggest that we condone any behavior that's not okay Mm -hmm. like i'm not asking to be let off the hook for the deception that i've brought to relationship in the past but it does work for us to say you're complex and there are incongruencies in your world, and I'm complex and there are incongruencies in my world. And if we can relate on that level, compassion is at the bottom of that place. Then from that place, we can also have very clear boundaries. We can say, now I understand where you're coming from. It's not okay that we do X, Y, Z, but we could do it a different way because now I understand what you're committed to or what you're hoping for, what you're yearning for, or also the pain that is between me and you for you. I can understand that now. So now it makes sense. Let's do it this way because this way we both get our our pain acknowledged and our hope for joy and connection is met. That's beautiful. Something I heard yesterday. So I can rabbit on a bit. I love it. <laughs> That's what this space is for. Good. I was taking it all in. Don't worry. But, and I'm sure the listeners are too. And the beauty with them listening, they can pause and go back and re-listen. Yeah. Something I heard in the meditation by. Sarah Blonde, I think her name uh, is. Joy. Always choose love instead of the story behind the wound. I heard that and just thought, wow, did I choose, have I chosen over however many years, the story? Yeah. So many times. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's how I hope to set people free is that, of course, we do. We're wired that way. The fact that you've chosen that story is part of your sympathetic nervous system response to escaping threat. It's how it's it when you can settle on something to be right about in terms of your narrative, 
like poor me or ha, you're wrong or some version, some simplified version of the narrative around what happened, then we get to move to a safer place within ourselves. So I want people to understand that our capacity, our inability to stay open is survival mechanism and it keeps us out of the front of traffic. (laughs) It keeps us not being hit by buses. It keeps us being able to feed ourselves when we're hungry. It keeps us moving away from extreme heat so we're safe. It keeps us from realising we're getting sunburned. It's wonderful. It's just that that survival mechanism is always on the go (laughs) and we can become masterful at how and when to switch that off because relationship is not survival threat. It's emotional threat. It's not fight or flight. We won't, it's if we're having a conversation about what the bedtime should be of the kids or about who needs time out from childcare or what embarrassing conversation happened over the dinner table when our friends came over, no one's life is at risk and yet we're still in the same fight, flight or freeze or fawn response to try and escape the moment. That, I know, that kind of may be going a little too into No, no. That's what we're wired for. My point is that every time that we simplify, oversimplify the moment and make judgments and be right about something, it's a survival mechanism. So at the very least, what I hope that I leave people with, the first chunk of work that I always do is notice the oppositional mind is there for your safety. Notice when it rises. Notice how often every day it rises and start to have some compassion for that in you. And also notice that's always happening in every other human being on the planet in every moment. It's not bad, my point is, it's just human. Once we realise that's a survival mechanism, we can start to go, do I require that mechanism right now or can I just actually come back to my partner and sit down and say, sorry, I was just getting really defensive. I'd actually really love to listen while you complete what you were trying to say to me. Maybe my life is not under threat. More often we do that is that reprogramming our mind, setting it on a new path. Yeah. Uh, some of the most beautiful, so I'm part of what really lights me up is that I'm constantly having the people that I work with or have worked with sending me messages just going, the moment just happened a whole different way for us. Something that would have just been an explosion and would have led to days of not speaking or like him leaving or her leaving. They reach out to me and just say something profound just happened because what I did was I just stayed and I opened, whereas normally I would have gone, shut down and gone. I used the tools to stay and open, and what I did for my partner was create a safe space where normally I would have generated unsafety in them and in me. To be welcomed into... Imagine you and me are in conflict. I'm really upset if you're, or, or you're really upset if I'm able to say, Hey, this is a safe space for you to explore exactly what's happening for you. I'm just going to hold this container for you because I care that deeply. And you get to express whatever you need to express. I'm just going to be here with you and be more and more curious because that's how much I love you. For you, that is profoundly different to your experience of conflict ever. Most of us never, ever had someone be with us, like wholly be with us while we're in our threat response. One thing that I just remembered was recently I helped my baby daddy with something on the computer and his business. 
we did it. Afterwards, he said, we would have never done that when we were together. The energy was just so different. I said to him from the start, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll try. Whereas if we backpedal a year or so, I probably would have been ah, already started in that fight or flight. Yep. But being honest, being calm, yep. being compassionate, what a difference just little things like that can be. Yeah, beautiful. So there was the absence of like triggers that normally would have mm. had you feel like criticized or judged or why are you talking to me like that? Or I know I was about to do that. And he's like, why are you talking to me like that? Or, yeah. You started it. No, you did. Oh God, here we go again. Oh, you always do this. It radiates out from these tiny little moments of trigger. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You've got to train yourself. Yeah. You've that's exactly. You've got to rewire that stuff, right. don't you? Some of the training that I ask people to do is exactly that, is making a list of all the things that whoever, partner, siblings, dad, mum, work colleague, what they do or say that's like impactful, triggering, upsetting, frustrating, the things that make you go, oh, God, no, here we go again, or this again, and actually practice dissolving those triggers by understanding that behind what's being said or done is a whole world that we normally are not responding to. Normally, we're reacting to what's said or done. If I say, hey, are you going to wear those pants out? You're like, what's wrong with these pants? I'm like, well, nothing. And then we're, they're off in this oppositional world. Whereas if you can feel behind my statement of, are you going to wear those pants out into the fact that I might have some fear <laughs> around other men looking at you or that I, and that my intention might be for us to have a really harmonious night without incident, then you can start to go, I honour what your intention is. I honour the fact that you've got pain that you're willing to share with me. It's just that in that moment, I can't skillfully express myself because I've never learned how to. So I just come out with an assessment or a judgment or a criticism that kind of serves that need. So part of the training that people get to do when they work with me is dissolve a trigger by understanding that behind that thing that was said or done lies a beautiful intention and also lies some pain that this person is sitting with that's giving them this action or this accusation, once we can relate to each other on that deeply compassionate level, then we dissolve the need to oppose. So it's something you could say a quick little communication hack for people in that situation, whether it is a relationship with their family, whoever. Yes. Something that comes to mind for me would just be saying, because quite often I do find it hard to articulate how I'm feeling, perhaps I could say, I'm not sure how I'm feeling right now, but that action, those words, this situation is activating something within me. Can we hold space to have that conversation? Yeah. I think it's beautiful to be able to go, I'm noticing in me upset or whatever. I'm noticing something's up with me and that's compromising my capacity to actually just communicate with you right now, which is the space before just reaction. Yeah. But yeah. And then also the hack that I get people to work with is when someone says something to you that is upsetting that you would normally defend yourself against, ask yourself two questions. What are they yearning for? What's the pain that they're sitting with? Yeah. By going into what they're yearning for, you seek out a valid intention in their world. Why that's powerful is because when we're impacted by another person, by what they've said or done, we assume that their intention is not valid, not mm. positive. 
that we assume that they are trying to upset us or hurt us or squash us or control us or humiliate us. So in the absence of an assumed ill intent, we get to invent a valid intention, mm-hmm. which brings us, which opens our heart to who they are in that moment. That is not the statement or the action that they've taken. And feeling into their pain has us come closer again. So if you say to me, why do you always have to be so bloody judgmental? I can feel into that there's pain there that you're feeling judged, that you're yearning to be valued by me. So I can go, hey, I'm aware that right now I may have left you feeling criticized. And actually, I want you to understand that I love your input in this moment. That wasn't very skillful about how I expressed that. So thanks for helping me understand that you're sitting with the feeling of not feeling valued and that you're yearning for like ease and collaboration between us. So normally my pathway would have been if you'd said, why do you have to be so critical? Normally my pathway is I'm not being critical. You're like, yes, you are. And I'm like, I'm not. When was I critical? And you're like, fucking, you're not listening to me. And I'm like, well. And so then we go into opposition and it just cascades and then we start fighting about fighting. And then Mm -hmm. we're fighting about the fighting about the fighting. But actually what you've expressed to me is which lands as an accusation normally actually gives me information. You're sitting with pain and you're yearning for something different. If I can attend to those things, there is no conflict. It's an unskillful invitation (laughs) (laughs) that lands as criticism or accusation. It takes a lot of practice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I, that's what I'm feeling it. You can start. You can start that work with yourself, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Write down your triggers and find behind them what's their intention that's valid. What's the pain that they're sitting with that might lead them to take this action or expression? We're not. Once again, we're not condoning the behaviour. I'm not saying mm. it's okay to speak to me like that, but I'm reaching into your experience first to validate that. I might say, hey, by the way, when you don't feel like I'm valuing you could we try saying it this way because I'm going to be more receptive to that. So then it just opens a learning conversation about how do I attend to my, how do we attend to the language that we use that leaves us connected to the love that we want between us and our, our capacity to express our pain when it comes up. Yeah. Wow. Much more skillful. How do people work with you? People tend to reach out by Instagram at the moment, but I'm just this week or maybe early next week, my website will finally be up and running. People can check out the coaching programs and my retreats. I run some really beautiful retreats, which are for singles and couples, and it weaves together yogic practices, yogic philosophy, which have a a lot to say about our human tendencies and how they play out in relationship and also transformative communication tools, a bunch of workshops wrapped by yoga practices. They tend to be three to five days long, singles and couples welcome. I'll be running one in Magnetic Island in North Queensland in October, maybe in the Whitsundays, maybe in Hobart as well, a couple in Southwest Western Australia. So people can hit up my website. So it's leadbyheart.com leadbyheart.com and james underscore fish underscore gill on instagram we'll link all of that up in the show notes before we wrap up can you give us a little bit of an insight about the rhythms of your work week how you arrange (laughs) rearrange your life around consulting and teaching and 
such a poignant question. How might I reflect on that? So every day and every week is different because I need to be flexible at working with a range of human beings in a range of different family work settings. So every day and every week is different. Basically, my days consist of teach sort of 13 to 15 yoga classes a week. So they're set. That's a set part of my schedule. And they tend to be early mornings and evenings. And in the middle of my day is the coaching part of what I do. And sessions are always shifting because people's life gets in the way sometimes. So I'm happy to be quite flexible around that. But I'm learning to quarantine times in my week where because the work that I do is so deeply inspiring, I tend to be really up, really energized, really excited, constantly thinking about it, constantly wanting to congratulate people about the wins that they're having. It's very easy for me to be sucked in and up, like really inspiration, like the in-breath. So I'm having to practice quarantining times in my day and in my week where I put everything away and I hum and I sing and I dance and I nap and I go to the beach and I walk in nature and I focus on bringing myself down. So I down-regulate my nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system switching on. I do a lot of breath practices to bring myself back down because my work is so inspiring and lifts me so up. So that involves like time with the people I really love. It involves as many dogs as possible every day. Like (laughs) every dog on the planet is mine secretly. So I greet all dogs that I see. I greet them very fully, sometimes to the frustration of the people who are trying to walk with me. Yeah, I try to spend time in beautiful locations. I'm in North Fremantle in Western Australia. The beach is just there and the river is just there. So I try and make as much opportunity to be held by the ocean, which is a big reset for me. And to spend time with people who really get me, the whole of me, like the screwy parts of me and the wonderful parts of me they all belong that's become primary to me because I know that feeling deeply seen and understood by the people in my life is what holds me so I can hold other people beautiful one more question is there any things that you're seeing within your community at the moment whether it's in your yoga classes or with the people that you work more closely with there's a bunch of themes in the couples and individuals that I work with, I've become quite interested recently about some generalities that happen with working with men and working with women. One of the things I've noticed, make of it what you will, but I've really noticed that there is an overall complaint by a woman when she reaches out to me. It's just I don't feel understood by him. Like I don't, he just doesn't seem to have the capacity to get me to get it, to just listen, to really listen, to really understand. I'm just like at my wits, I just need him to really deeply get it. So that tends to be her complaint. When I talk about, imagine if he was able to, like women would just go, oh my God, that's what I need. It's funny because when I talk to women about the yearning to be really completely understood, it's very closely tied to her willingness to be intimate and also sensual and sexual. If I felt completely understood by him, I just want to open. So when I work with men, there's a general complaint. I'm busting my guts here, but I don't seem to be able to meet her where she needs to be met. Like she keeps criticizing me or telling me I'm not getting her. I'm yearning for her to feel understood, but I don't know how to create that. So she wants to be understood and he wants to understand her or leave her feeling understood. And 
she feels unmet and he feels criticized. That's a real, that's something that's fascinating me at the moment because we're here behind that. We're both pulling in the same direction. We want the feminine to be got and held and safe. Yeah. It's just that when has any man on the planet ever learned how to stand fiercely, resolutely, and completely openly with absolute deep presence while she rages? Like we're not, where's that training? And part of the ways that I talk about my work is that the masculine, which is the structure and the non-changing aspect into which the feminine can pour, the communication tools that I work with are creating a safe container for our whole experience to be okay and held. Yeah, Amazing that people are feeling this way, but it's amazing that the work that you do and how you can see people through that lens and see how you can filter through what is going on in their life to enrich their communication, their understanding, their compassion. What an honour it must be to... It's a complete... um, Because, you know, what I'm faced with the fact that, like, in every single conversation I have with any human being is this yearning to be loved. We just yearn to be loved. Quite ironic, before I we started recording, I was listening to Dan Sultan and one of his songs is I Yearn For You. We just yearn to be loved. That's mm. all that's at the very foundation of everything. We yearn for others to experience our love. Like yeah. all these men that I work with just want to land their love in a way that it's received and they're frustrated because it's no matter how hard I love, she still doesn't feel love. It's painful when we can't land our love. Yeah. Practice. Thank you so much. Such a joy, Tess. It was such yeah. a beautiful honour. So many emotions which I welcome and ride the wave of and probably going to sit with a little bit more this afternoon. Yeah. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Can you just tell us one more time where we can find you? Yes, you can find me at leadbyheart.com and you can find me at james underscore fish underscore gill on Instagram. Beautiful. And we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can find you really easily. Thank you again. Such a joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Rising With podcast. I so, so, so love and feel you there. It's amazing. If you're feeling any connection to anything that I've said, I would so love for you to reach out on my Instagram page, rising.with, or on my website, risingwith.com. You can find all my offerings there and we can connect. I love chatting to my community. You'll also find a link through there to my private Facebook group, which is for women only. And every week I share a free oracle reading. And one of our members, a few of our members, love, love, love this time of week and say it's their favourite time of week. So I would so love to have you over there as well. Even more so, I would be truly grateful if you could, whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's you like it or share this or subscribe or download It would mean so, so much to me to get my voice out there. Ah. So thank you in advance for reviewing, leaving some stars, a comment, sharing this with a loved one. Maybe it will provide them with a little guidance and support. And that's, that's my goal, impacting beautiful, beautiful people, beautiful souls. Thanks so much. Catch you next time.